professional girl so welcome Veronica Sanchez is here and um, we love having Veronica on we always have really good chats with her <laughs> Veronica is um the proprietor and owner of cooperative pause service dog education so welcome Veronica thank you so much for having me it's always fun you're welcome so when Judy first um got, got on 10 minutes ago she's like oh I'm not sure about this background I said oh I love cows I I mean I had a pet cow for years. <laughs> I think that picture's awesome I think I think it actually detracts from yeah. you, Judy. That's the problem. Nobody's going to want to look at you. Uh, that's okay. Cow. They can look at my cow. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. So, Veronica, um, you're a corporate partner of PPGs, which we just love because we love supporting you, and we're grateful that you support us. And we're here today because on Tuesday you're opening up a new enrollment for your service dog certification program. Yes. Correct. All right. I so um, as, along with lots of other things we're going to talk about, we're going to really sort of drill down into that program. And um, we actually were talking about you a couple of weeks ago on the PPG Assistance Animal Division, mm. because we're working on some new um, programs now through the division. And your name always comes up because you're so highly thought of in the industry from that perspective. So I just want, can you just tell us before we look at the actual program, how did you get into specializing in the service dog certification and training? How did that evolve? So it um, it started in bits and pieces. I will say that before I ever had any health problems, I always I had an interest in service dogs and also therapy dogs. Um, so it was um, kind of like a just I always was interested in the the sort of human animal interaction when it came to like a, like adding in sort of a human healthcare perspective to it. And then um, I was, uh, you know, I basically, I was a public school teacher and then I developed and I did dog training. You know, this is going back in the nineties. This is how old I'm giving away my age. <laughs> and, so I'm, and then I developed a disability and I ended up having to entirely stop working, mm -hmm. which, um, I, I love working. So that was actually really hard for me it was not working. And then during that time period, this is the time period of um, Yahoo groups. This is early 2000s. So oh, I hated those. <laughs> <laughs> they were very different. I, right? I found them so aversive. Yeah. They were they so were, aversive. <laughs> it was a whole different time. Yeah um dial up I mean we had like you know the dial up just getting connected you know yeah, all the you go on the internet and you can hear mm -hmm. the, the phone yeah the phone line right yeah yeah so um I was uh, and I was you know doing, dealing with all my health things I was basically at home and the computer was like a lifeline for me mm -hmm. to interact yeah and I became interested in service dogs at that point personally because of my own disability mm -hmm. and that is how I actually connected with the service dog community because they were right. on Right. Yahoo groups, and they had a group that was um, particularly clicker training service dogs. Yeah. And so um, I ended up, they had a conference. I ended up meeting a number of the trainers, had the wonderful opportunity to make friends there. And I ended up volunteering for a nonprofit uh, service dog program that, I mean, this is, we're talking 2004-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and this program was a clicker program. Um, it, it, the, it, it, it no longer exists, but they, um, did own, they focused on owner trainers back in 2004. Right, right. And so, and they were actually, um, also like, I think they were working towards ADI. So they had ADI, uh, ADI had a couple of levels of credential or something like that. They were working right. towards their full thing, but in any case, um, so I ended up getting involved there and learning about it from the program world. And then also at the same time, simultaneously from the owner training perspective, um, I tried to find a trainer in my, in my area to help me with my own service dog. And it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult, even just to find an accessible, a wheelchair accessible facility, still difficult yeah. to be honest in yeah. this area. Mm -hmm. um, then um, 
And then what happened is I started working again. And when I first started working um, and I started, you know, doing dog training, mm -hmm. I was for, uh, and I ended up, um, there was no real demand for service dogs at that point, 2006. I, I did pet dog training and so most did, of my- Did you get a dog and then have help training it and then realize, wow, this is something that I could really do and would enjoy doing as a living? Or did you not have a dog and think, wow, it's difficult to find a dog. This is this is an opportunity here in the in the marketplace. Okay. So my whole dog training thing goes way, way back, goes right. early 90s. I had actually already trained professionally. Okay. Even while I was okay. a public school teacher. I started okay. training professionally like in the early 90s. I did an apprenticeship um here with the first positive reinforcement place right. in the area. Right. Um and then, um, but I had just done pet dogs and like group puppy training classes. Mm -hmm. And for me at that point, um, I mean, I think those of us who've been in the industry for long enough, when you started in the nineties, you didn't think of it as a career. Um, it's changed. The industry yeah. really changed. I mean, at that point, it was like, I would go and teach the kids during the day and then come back and teach a, a, a training class. And it was in the same area. So sometimes I had the same students. Right. Yeah. Ms. Sanchez. Yeah. Oh my God. That yeah. <laughs> was like, hi again. I tell you what I did pick up on, and I don't know about yeah. you, Judy, but I started training in 2000. I just moved to Hawaii. For, I lived overseas mm -hmm. and got a dog that was a problem. Anyway, cut a long story short, ended up training. And I had never come across any type of aversive training until I moved to Florida in 2007 because the trainer I went to was also a marine trainer and used a clicker. Mm -hmm. So I lived out there in Hawaii, teaching agility, doing agility, having a good old time with this complete ignorance of this whole other part of the industry that wasn't mm -hmm. training like that. So right. did you actively have to go and find a positive reinforcement trainer or was that, or were you lucky enough that that was what was on your doorstep? My, 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 so my introduction to training on, as a whole was not, is one that is a story that I often hear now. Mm -hmm. I had, mm -hmm. um, I was in like late, like late high school, mm -hmm. uh, bought a dog from the newspaper <laughs> mm -hmm. and dog was um, reactive mm -hmm. uh, to other dogs. Mm -hmm. And I took, uh, he was a, not a good starter dog. He was like a, an like some sort of Akita or Chow mixed with a husky, right? You know, but yeah. You know, <laughs> so and I was eighteen. Yeah. So <laughs> so uh, at that time, I ended up. Um, I took traditional classes. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, because that mm -hmm. was all that was in my area initially, that I could well most of what I could find, but um, that was using you know the collar corrections, mm -hmm. and then. Mm -hmm. um, I kept taking classes over and over again, and I wasn't getting, the truth is I, I, I actually tell people I changed methods because it did not, it was not effective. It was not working. So it wasn't like, I'd, I'd love to say I changed methods because of kindness. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was 18 and 19. That wasn't why I changed method. I changed methods. It wasn't working. I took right. a lot of different classes at the time and it actually, not surprisingly got worse and worse yeah because uh because mm -hmm. all i was doing was correcting my dog more and more around other dogs and i was it was just escalating but like right. my dog's behavior was right. worse after i trained them before and if there's and one so, if, mm -hmm. and if, if there's yeah. one area where our dogs need to be emotionally sound it's the service dog work isn't it I right mean, right yeah i mean i mean yeah. i mean in, in our opinion all dogs should have should benefit from from that type of training right. but that's the one area that um right yeah yeah right so at that point so at that point in my area there was eventually there was a, a positive training facility and I eventually um ended up taking classes there this was a pet dog I wasn't disabled yet at this point and I um and I took so many classes there that they eventually invited me to do an apprenticeship mm -hmm. and I did that you know, mm -hmm. and then nice. I, um, you know, right. at that point, apprenticeships, yeah. I was lucky it was free. <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> I studied under another trainer and then they hired me and, and that's how I ended up um, getting involved in pet dog right. training. But it had always been a part-time job 
like an after school job. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is after I developed a disability and I did that stint of not working and on the online groups, I ended up circling back to that and thinking, well, I would, I'd like to re-enter the workforce. Let me, let me, let me, at this point now I can see there are actually career dog trainers. <laughs> let yeah. me see if I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's how that resurfaced. But I mean, it really wasn't for almost, I would say uh, the demand for service dogs started to creep in around 2008 um 2010 it wasn't early on it was it was sporadic and now um I see graduates who are doing most of their business as service dogs so why why do you think and I know there's a difference between and I and I don't know a lot about it it's not it's not not an area of expertise by any stretch of the imagination but there's obviously places where you can um get a dog from that's sort of trained and then you get integrated into that program so then they fine-tune it to meet the individual needs of the of the new owner and then there's a scenario where people actually prepare and train their own dogs so has that part of the market emerged because there just aren't enough of the other type of dogs or they're too expensive or they're not accessible to people or is it because it's more effective to find the right dog and train it for the actual owner or is it a bit of each I think there's a lot of things involved I actually think um, part of it too is simply accessibility to information. Right. So I think that like when, um, I mean, I, I know for myself, like in the, you know, a, for a lot of people didn't even know that it was legal to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like a lot of people, right. and now you can go to ada.gov <laughs> and mm-hmm. educate yourself on the entire Americans with Disabilities yeah. Act. You can yeah. pull it up and read the whole thing if you mm-hmm. want um, and then, um, so I think part of it is people know that they, that they can, mm-hmm. I think with the internet, people can go online and you know, <laughs> research training things. And there's a little bit more of a DIY culture to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. then I think the other part of it is that, uh, the demand is the demand is by far the highest I've, I used to tell people. So, I mean, and honestly, just five years ago, I used to tell people, um, apply to a service dog program, prepare to wait for two years. Right. And everybody would be like, oh my gosh, two years. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah. wait for two years. And yeah, I would for, say- I mean, for some people, it's their absolute independence, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it should, right. you should be able to just, it's almost yeah. like you should just be able to just drive right. up and, and purchase the right one. Like you would with right. And And some programs, two years would be, I mean, some of them are 10 years. Yeah. Nowadays, it's yeah. more common mm-hmm. to see upwards of four years or see the program yeah. not taking applicants. I can't tell right. you how many of them are not taking applicants now. Mm-hmm. It's gotten to the point where programs that I used to routinely refer to, I have to go and look and I'm like, oh, sorry, they're not taking applicants. They're not even taking for yeah. their wait list. It used yeah. to be like, like now I'm like, be glad you can get on a wait list for an open application. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, the demand right now, it, it really, it used to be that I would, and, and frankly, I was the person a lot of times who I would tell people, you really need to go to a program and I'm sorry, you have to wait for two years, but it'll take you that long to train a dog from start to finish anyway. Right. Uh, if not longer. Right. So wait for two years and, and you'll get up, you'll have a public access dog, which is what you want anyway. But the truth is that I can't say that anymore. Um, I, I, I used to, I, even when I want to, even when I want to say, go to a yeah. program, uh, I can't because so many of the programs, the waits are just that long. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, you can't, we can't, it's one thing Two two years was already too long, frankly, but like, um, five years? No. I but, mean, if, but, yeah. if, but if you if you get your own dog and train your own dog, at least you can sort of reap the benefits of having the dog as it's going through its journey of learning, because it's going to be learning some things that are going to be useful as you build on those foundations, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're completely without the dog and then, you know, two years later, it suddenly arrives in your home. Right, right. And, right. and, and you can build a relationship. You can probably train some mm-hmm. of the tasks that you can use in your house, you know, fairly, yeah. fairly soon. I think the biggest challenge about the owner training is that you're assuming the risk of not ending up with a public access dog right. and it's a coin toss. Yeah. Um, and and, so. and I, I would think, I would think that a lot of people don't understand the sort of 
the importance of the puppy or the young dog they're choosing to then embark embark into the training right. program is that is that what you mean so that by the time they get to the end yeah. of the training the dog's not necessarily mm-hmm. competent right right I've seen an improvement in that but it's still not improved enough yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen an improvement in that I am seeing more owner trainers saying I don't have a dog I need to hire somebody to help me select the dog right um like yeah. I would say now about <clears throat> And even though I'm I actually we still say this, I don't myself, I'm not, I am busy with training trainers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very busy with that. <laughs> uh, but even so, I still get inquiries, you know, three or four a week. Um, they come in and there's a search on my website for find an SDC where I point people to, but they um they they still find me. And I would say half of them don't have dogs now, which is right. a lot better than it used to be. I think it's great when they don't have dogs because then they are looking for uh, a candidate. And yeah. so they realize right. that they need guidance. So I do think that that's, word is starting to get out, but still some already. And mm-hmm. you know, if they have a dog, it's and even if they don't have a dog, even if they get guidance, um, and this is one of the things is like, we still can't promise that that candidate right. that they have is going to yeah. end up being yeah. public access yeah. appropriate. Is- so- when we talk about owner owner train owner handler training versus purchasing a dog from an organization when you when people sign up for your program and go through that and get the certification are they helping owner handlers or are they part of the owner handler team i mean is there just the two options or is there the you can buy a dog that's trained you can own and handle your own dog or you can find a trainer someone that's gone through your certification program that can then work with you is that a third option or is that considered part of the second option so my trainers my graduates do kind of everything right my graduates okay. are um the, the majority of my students are pet dog trainers mm-hmm. who have gotten a lot of requests for service dog training right and want to start to meet that demand, okay. which is great. Yeah. Um, so they end up. Uh, so so um, I'm sorry. So there'll be an owner who will contact them and say, I've got a dog. I need help. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they will then support that owner right. at training that dog for service work. Yeah. Um, but I also now have um, graduates who have opened up nonprofit service dog programs. And I have graduates who come to me from uh, traditional model service dog programs. So I ended up expanding the course to kind of cover because there's different things, different challenges involved. If you're a nonprofit program and you're placing a service dog, you have that challenge of making that match, matching a prospective applicant with the dog versus if you are working with um, your pet dog business and you're running your business and then you're having these inquiries, how do you handle um, somebody's coming to you with their dog and um, you know, you meet the dog, how, how do you decide, you know, how do you do an evaluation? Right. How do you decide if that dog is gonna yeah. be appropriate for public access? Cause a lot of times you just have that dog for the yeah. duration of a private lesson or a class. Mm-hmm. And so that's not really enough time. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. that level. Really so we talk really about is. like how you handle that in the structure of offering your normal businesses uh services. Right. And so fitting that in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an important area because they need to, um owner trainers are doing this mm-hmm. one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. So they're either yeah. going to go on social media and pick random advice Mm -hmm. or, and they're going to call a trainer Mm -hmm. and look for advice. Um, And so it's important for them to get really knowledgeable and experienced Mm -hmm. training. And so it's important for us to be available. Uh, it's it's something that we're focusing on with the new PPG website that's going to roll out soon is actually mm -hmm. being able to list people that have got credentials or that are specializing in that animal assistance training, because I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for people to find, isn't it? I mean, it is. It's big. I get tons of phone calls for that. So yeah, it's a big thing. It's a world that you spent a lot of time in, isn't it, Judy? Didn't you used to do a lot Mm -hmm. of that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And, you know, like Veronica says, it's finding that right dog. And I still consult through my program, my trust center training program. I still consult with some service dog schools, but 
I'm not, I'm consulting more with them on building those relationships, yeah. how to make that dog a part yeah. of your life. Yeah. Not as much the task because they've got that. That's, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. that school's yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of talk out there with some of the schools that I've worked with. Do we go through breeders? Do we go through shelters? And a lot of them are wanting to focus on shelter dogs and it can become a problem if they're selecting yeah. the wrong dogs. So, you know, it's very, there's so much to this. I mean, gosh, Veronica's got such a wide range of topics that she has to deal with. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's expansive. And I, I suggest anybody that wants to get into this, go to Veronica's program, because if you try to do it on your own, you're not, right. you're not, pro it's, you're probably not well, going to be successful. I mean, well, I mean, not, not only are you getting structured education, but you're getting it from somebody that understands the importance of it as well. Right. I mean, and somebody who knows things that you wouldn't even think yeah. you needed to know. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I'm always amazed at how, even now, how confusing the public access awareness is. I mean, we were yeah. talking in our divisional meeting this week about Ruby Wellsford, one of our members in the British Isles. I don't know if you guys saw it. She video journaled how many times over the two-year period she was refused an Uber because she had her service dog. Um, mm -hmm. And she can't drive. She relies on her dog for her independence. And um, she was actually invited onto a documentary program to talk about it. And we were talking about it in our assistance animal division meeting this week. And Christina Dewan, who's now our new chair, she said, this is not a problem unique to the UK. If you search on Google, you'd be amazed at how many people have the same problem with both Lyft and Uber. And yet. And restaurants. Right. And restaurants. Yeah. I was just in one last week and the manager came up and he was talking to us. He knows us. And he's like, oh, these people bringing these service dogs in here. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Yeah. You have to let them in. Yeah. And he's like, well, I want to know what that dog does. I want to know where they got him. I want to know his certification. Yeah, I'm business. like, time out. Your business. You can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why would a restaurant owner for a large or a large company not know those guidelines right. and it's it's very sad because i mean for me it's as important as osha it's as important as osha and discrimination yeah. and i mean it's it's up there with all of those protections yeah right yeah right it's i mean crazy. i see what, it like it, veronica is it because people is it because the majority uh, not the majority is it is it in general because people with service dogs feel vulnerable and don't want to kick up a fuss and push the issue because i have several I wouldn't say friends, but colleagues that use service animals, and they just say, I'm just not going to fight about it. I'm just not going to go back. And, and you think, well, that's such a shame um, that, that you can't experience that. But, so that, far but they're, they're also being reinforced for refusing you. Right. Yeah. Um, I think service dog animals are like the tiniest. So you want to talk about Lyft and Uber. I can't get a wheelchair accessible Lyft or Uber. Right. And, and um, mm -hmm. so um, as a matter of fact, as somebody who uses a wheelchair, accessibility has gotten worse for me because before Lyft and Uber, taxis were wheelchair accessible because they have to be in compliance. Right. And so I was able hmm. to get a taxi. Um, so it's like, I can't really get out of a house easily to have somebody discriminate for me for both yeah. service dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so like, right. like I haven't even been able to exit yet for to experience the rest of the discrimination. Yeah. Um, it's discrimination against people with this I mean like I can't even get started when people talk to me about airlines I'm mm -hmm. like uh, you know the bathrooms are not accessible mm -hmm. so somebody who uses a wheelchair cannot use a restroom in an airline for a flight I mean I just it's like it's a way right. bigger issue service dogs so are the time what does somebody do if they're right if they're on a long haul flight do you hold it or yeah there's no the the we're we're actually, I had never see that's a really good example because I had never <laughs> mm -hmm. even thought, I about thought that. of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I tell I, you, I tell you what I did uh, realize when I had my foot surgery four years ago and I had to have a cast on for like twelve weeks. I realized then how unfriendly all areas are, and that was just with me on crutches. Mm -hmm. I, you know, if you were in a wheelchair, that some of those places would have been impossible. Uh, you know, and how inconsiderate people are about parking over you know, somebody will park in a way that right. prevents the wheelchair from joining two pathways together. You know, it's just. Yeah, people don't understand. Like people yeah. don't understand the fact that there's an extra wide spot 
for the wheelchair accessible vehicles because some of those vehicles have a side lift yeah. are big and they yeah. and they yeah. a person if they if there isn't a side entrance i remember going in um who was it years ago i i was going in and i had to i was going into a particular building location it was it was in it was in Arlington and right outside of Washington, DC. This is a modern area. This is not like, this is a big urban area. <laughs> and there was no accessible a curb cut to enter the, to enter, to get on the sidewalk from any of the, anywhere. So I had to, uh, uh, my husband had to, we had to get out at that point. I got out in the street and I had to negotiate my wheelchair in the middle of rush hour traffic. It was absolutely terrifying. Wow. I had to go in the, like literally in the middle of the street yeah. and during a stoplight. And I just mm. hoped that the light didn't turn. I, 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 was, yeah. I was in Tampa about a month ago and I, we came, we were mm. staying in a hotel on the coast and we, we decided to walk to the restaurant and I, it's my biggest gripe about the US because it's so difficult to walk anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a car mm-hmm. in some areas, you just can't access certain areas. Um, and we wanted to walk to the restaurant. It was about a mile. We walked a quarter of a mile. We crossed a main road that had a beautiful pedestrian crossing. We got on the other side and suddenly the sidewalk just stopped and it was a glass, uh, a grass mound to get back onto the sidewalk. And I looked at my husband and said, what would you do if you were in a wheelchair right now? You would have to drive, you'd have to take your wheelchair onto the main road, which was a, like a six lane road. Right. I mean, that's the only way that you'd be able to navigate that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why when it comes to like the service dog, that is, a, it's not that it's not an issue. It's just, yeah. it's a bigger issue um, yeah. than the service dog piece. And I think that that becomes the, yeah. The one I think the service what's the solution. What, what what what's the solution though? I mean, if the accessibility is a bigger piece of the puzzle than the sort of finding and training of the dogs, mm-hmm. then I mean, what's the solution? I mean, I think this is like one of those like the 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 whole uh, movement to like recognizing that. Ex- I mean, accessibility mm-hmm. benefits everyone. You know, right? Because yeah. when you put that curb cut into the building or when you make the sidewalk wider who does that not help yeah right <laughs> so a lot of times um I know I had um I did a rally thing with one of my dogs years ago and I finally like kind of called this fact that there was this competition was being held in a location where I wasn't going to be able to go in mm-hmm. so I was like I'm not going to be able mm-hmm. this is a com- competitive event open to the public this is supposed to be accessible mm-hmm. they ended up putting installing um they were wonderful they actually were responsive and put a ramp in which I know is not easy mm-hmm. but they ended up saying the first thing they said is oh my gosh this is going to make it so much easier for our staff to get the agility equipment in and out mm-hmm. and I'm like that's the thing accessibility ends up benefiting everyone yeah it's not like right. you're doing something for just one or two and being in terms of like um <clears throat> You know, I think the service dog community, I think if there's, they're good at one thing is they do tend to be like a little bit more, uh, they oftentimes do advocate for themselves. Like there is, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there are efforts to right. get out there. I think sometimes mm-hmm. where things backfire is when you have inappropriately trained dogs, which is an issue mm-hmm. for people who don't know the, like when we talked, you mentioned restaurants, mm-hmm. um, the, the, um, you know, the, the restaurant situation, the last time I was in a restaurant, which was a while ago, but it was a, um, there was somebody there with a service dog, a dog, yeah, I'm going to assume the dog was a service dog, but the dog was placed on a chair at the, ta- at the restaurant, at the table. Um, the, the restaurant staff didn't complain. They, they did their thing, but mm-hmm. the dog is not supposed to be on a right. chair, the chair. Right. And right. when you see things like this, it just makes everything worse for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely. I yeah. mean, it's like it's like the pet owners that don't pick up their dog waste and then they complain when they get cut off from being able to take their dog into certain locations. I mean, you know, right. Yeah. It's everybody. Yeah. Everybody has to play a role, don't they? It's a team sport. We have to all be responsible. Right. Yeah. yeah. In terms of accessibility, are there different requirements? Well, first of all, is this something that you cover on the program or does the program just focus on the skills and the training? Everything. So it's like, it's when I say it's comprehensive, we talk about everything from selection to the preparing Mm -hmm. the client, public access tasks, um, everything. 
in terms of so, the, so the trainers are then educated to not only understand what access rights are but to talk to their clients and so that their clients understand right. what their rights are yeah right one of the things that's been um really cool for me as the person with the program mm -hmm. is that um getting uh trainers from around the world mm -hmm. so like getting more from mm -hmm. australia yeah. I just recently had somebody from um i recently had to assist you, somebody from germany and from south africa so whenever i get graduates mm -hmm. from around the world, I end up having to try to dive into the depths of the internet to try to find the laws in those countries. Yeah. And yeah. Um, one of the fun things about the service dog world is that many of the issues are the same throughout all of humanity. Yeah. But there are also some, but there are also some peculiarities. On our assistance animal division, we have, I think the team is 50% um, British Isles and 50% US. Right. And we're working on some new programs mm. now. Um, and we're sort of gathering all the accessibility information. And it, we're having to do it in teams because even though a lot of it is the same, there are also some peculiarities that are completely different. Right. <laughs> right. right. When it comes to public access, I would say the United States is like, the land of the honor system. We know how that works out, don't we? <laughs> right. We're like, you say, it's like, you know, the business owner can ask, is this a service dog? And what is the dog trained to do for you? Right. Yeah. Um, and then, but in other countries, that is not the case. So one of the things that I've done over the years is expand my course to include that because <laughs> I found I'm getting my um, my students going, but no, hello, not honor system here. Um, so, and one of the things that's kind of cool to look at for trainers who are interested in service dogs is actually to go online and look, what is the public access test in British Columbia? Mm. Yeah, uh, because they have um, some, you know, Canada, British Columbia has their public access test. You can look at it online. And I liked looking at those because you can see and they're all very common, the public access assessments. So you can kind of see what different mm -hmm. countries are looking for, but they're all right. looking very similar things. But it is yeah. fun to go and look at how they are assessing yeah. teams and how they have, um, yeah. you know, government uh standards in would some you countries. would you support a national registry for handlers and dogs so that there's a national id card to make it so much more enforceable is that something I mean, oh my gosh if I just you are getting me on a hot topic where people yeah. have, i will acknowledge the diversity of opinions on this yeah. incredible issue yeah. um personally i would personally mm -hmm. i would not mind id so i'll 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 tell you why. And it's because I find the questions that are currently the questions that, that so the Department of Justice um, basically says in the United States, mm -hmm. business owners can ask, they're not allowed to ask for registration or certification, mm -hmm. but they can ask these questions. And the questions are, is that a service dog trained to help you with your disability? That's easy because that's yes or no. And then the next one is, what is the dog trained to do for you? And I don't like that question. I think that's, I think that's, that's sort of almost mm -hmm. bordering on HIPAA, isn't it? Because then you're sort of digging into the disability. Right. Yeah. Right. I feel like it's like either I'm going to tell you something really vague mm -hmm. or I'm going to tell you something specific that's telling you about my disability. And when I, when I work with clients, I always, it's invasive. Mm -hmm. um, people mm -hmm. without disabilities don't have to answer questions. I don't have to explain, right. you know, if I'm using a walker or a wheelchair, I don't have to explain my adaptive equipment to right. you. Um, so, but if I, but if it, it, it feels invasive to me, so, and it, to me, it feels more invasive than if there was a tag that was issued by the state yeah. that I could just point yeah. to. To me, it's, that right. feels less invasive it's, because- it's, it's, <laughs> it's a hot button question because of this, because of the ID, is that- so it's a hot button. I'll t so the the other side of this is some people don't want government tracking anything or having personal information about them. I mean, and, and, that, and uh, they yeah, do I, anyway, I, though, I mean, right? I, I, just, right? I mean, I'm going to jump in because I think 30 years ago, there was a not valid argument for that. But if anyone thinks in this day and age that the government isn't tracking exactly what you're doing through all the technology yeah. that we use on if a minute-to-minute some, minute basis. Right. If you have health, right, right. right. I mean, I mean, I mean and, we, and I have a driving license with yeah. my picture on. That's an ID card. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
Right. Yeah. And, and to get yeah. a disability tag for the car, I yeah. had to present mm. information. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. really one of them. The other one is like not feeling, I think some of it too, is the concern as to what, what hoops would have to be jumped through in order to get it. Yeah. Would the playing field be right. even? Who mm -hmm. is going to be the, you yeah. know, um, I would, I mean, I would just like to see a system where um, people with disabilities can access, can just go about their life without having to feel that somebody can yeah. question what they're doing. Right. And with this, which is why I sometimes encourage people to look at what other countries have done, because yeah. it's not necessarily invasive. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, like, just, okay, yeah. look at what they're doing over here and go, does that, does that, it might feel invasive to you or maybe not. Yeah. Um, but they just yeah. have like a public access ass assessor that you fill it out. Now you're, you know, kind of done. Right. I don't even necessarily think by the way, that that's enough. Cause it, we all know dogs that pass a test one time and then yeah. three days later, you're like, right. yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, 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 but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. but in any case, I still think it's, but you know, better right. than nothing. I personally would be, would, would most trainers, most people that I talk to would want something because it get tired of the mm -hmm. questions about it. And it's, if it's iffy and then right. you know, it is, you know, the, the person taking their pet everywhere, um, you know, it addresses that, but it's definitely a hot topic. I don't think we're anywhere near this um, in the industry. I think we're more, we're moving. There's going to, there's a lot of voluntary possibilities out there. Like there's some um, a movement towards offering different kinds of voluntary credentialing. Mm -hmm. Um, where they would have a tag or something, but un, un, it's, if it's not required by anyone, then it's just, um, we continue with an, our honor system. And I think that yeah. the, uh, I think that the honor system, yeah, the want of a better label. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, yeah. I just, yeah, the honor system. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Veronica, tell us about your program. How long is it? What, you know, give us a little bit about what it entails. So if anybody's interested, they know right. what to expect. I so keep, I keep is, threatening to sign up for it, but. <laughs> I know I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so it is a um, 12 week program. And essentially it is, um, and I offer it twice. Typically I have been running it twice a year. Um, sometimes I think maybe I can do one more or maybe, but, um, but right now I've been doing it twice, twice a year. And then essentially it offers everything. It encompasses everything from, you know, selecting a service dog all the way down to, you know, business aspects. How do you incorporate in this business? How are the logistics nice. um, in terms of uh, client intake and things like that? Um, and then uh, of course the public access task training in between, um, the, the program is online, but it is one of those ones where it's a little bit hybrid in the sense that you're interacting with me on email and there's also a okay. discussion list and then um, trainers submit video of their work training a dog mm -hmm. and then they get feedback nice. on that so they can do the task training mm -hmm. on um, that. So it's basically like there's a learning management system, but it's interactive at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. people always want to know is like a stuff schedule because everyone's running a business and everyone's busy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I designed it sort of thinking of myself as running a pet dog business. And then I was thinking, okay, right. I can't have super rigid time. So it's basically, um, it's self-paced, but with a deadline. So everything. Okay. So if people are like, wait, I'm, you know, this week I've got a conference and I can't be around. Well, then you can do more the week before or after. You still have to meet the deadline, but you've got some flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, I help people with the, there's like, there's like a time, like a, like a rough timeline that is delineated in the course. So it gives you like a general gauge, but you can kind of okay. uh, move things around within that. Um, the course, it is for experienced positive reinforcement trainers. This, um, right. When I started this, I was specifically, I'm very geographical. I was thinking about it and now I'm not. Now I'm like, wait, what's happening in Australia and yeah, Africa? Yeah. <laughs> so, what's happening in Europe? Um, so I'm a very, but I was, when I first started this, the reason that I, that I really motivated me was that in my own area, the service dog demands had gone up, up, and I myself, mm -hmm. as a person with a disability, could only take so many clients, and I was right. maxed. 
And I had, and I'm right outside of Washington, DC. There are so many talented positive reinforcement trainers around me. I'm in a pocket um, of positive, mm -hmm. wonderful talent. And I had nobody to refer to, even though I was surrounded by these talented trainers because every, and I would ask them, you don't want to, you don't want to take this. You can't take this client. Can you, can you, you know, take mm -hmm. this one? And they would be like, no, because I really don't feel like I know anything about service dogs. Mm -hmm. So I created right. the program as a, I always say it was like to bridge the gap, like between what mm -hmm. experienced trainers know. So because of that, I always say that because sometimes people get a little, you know, like, wait, wait, I'm brand new. And I want to learn how to train service dogs. I want to sign up. And I'm like, no. It, this does not, this is not like a, not a dog training certification program, and they won't be successful. Like that's yeah. the whole point. I'm not right. very mean. They yeah. won't succeed. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm like um, <laughs> they, you know, cause you need to have that basic stuff before right. I ask you to back chain a retreat. Right. <laughs> You're yeah. not going to be, yeah. <laughs> going to be, it's going to be too, you know, so. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming that. So that's why there's an application process and prerequisites. And we look for right. uh, credentials that show that they've got a foundation, you know, strong foundational mm -hmm. knowledge. And it was designed as like an add on to that. It's a complement to that. And um, so that like uh, the programs, um, you know, after and I always tell people this, we have after they graduate, um, we have I have a list where I can, can where we can answer questions. A lot of times, sometimes it's one of those things. I know this has happened to me after I've taken like a seminar on something like mm -hmm. I'm like, OK, I'm going to incorporate all of it. I'm going to do it. And then I like leave and I'm like, wait, I don't know what I'm doing. And so yeah, how did I do that? How do I do that? Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's missing from a lot of seminars. I think it's really important that you have that ability to like call somebody and say exactly what we, what what am we I doing? yeah how did i it's so important yeah and yeah. I'm, I'm actually i'm looking on on the service dog page on your website there's a really nice section that talks about the comprehensive curriculum there that's got everything on there right so, right um, so yeah, I, did, I did not realize I, i'm really impressed with this i did not realize that it covered the public access training as well and also working with people with disabilities as well as all the foundation skills and the actual tasks like deep pressure therapy, anxiety alert, hearing alert, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it really is extremely right. comprehensive, isn't it? It looks great. Right. When it comes to the tasks, sometimes people will ask me, you know, they'll come up with a task that's not on the list because there's so many tasks. Right. <laughs> it's like the right. task yeah. possibilities just go on and on. Be like, well, what about this one? And so I do tell people, you have access to me in the course. If there's a task not covered, I have done that. I will be like, all right, let me see if I can come up with a training plan <laughs> and yeah. we'll break it down and discuss in, you know, you know, on email. And I have, that's that, how that list, that list continuously get at, gets added to as if I start mm -hmm. hearing, okay, wait, this task and, and that task, mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. hottest, the, you know, the area where I get like the most questions about our tasks for PTSD. Um, and that's yeah. the area where, I know trainers are telling me they're getting like, okay, we're getting most requests for PTSD service dogs. Mm -hmm. And so any task that ends up being used for PTSD is one that I get right. a lot of questions about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Robert Hewing's um, course on PTSD, the scent detection protocols, mm -hmm. but right. yeah, because I, yeah. And we had, it was like yeah. 30 people there and probably about 10 people in the room all had their own service dogs. And it was just, it was really insightful actually to learn from them about how important their dogs are, especially when they have night tremors um, and the role that their dogs play to support them. It's, it's just lovely. Right. That's, that's definitely yeah. the, the biggest, um, mm -hmm. it's been the big area for a lot of years. And, and then I always remind people too, that the mobility area um, I actually think probably has a higher demand, but people don't always put it together because when we think about mobility impairment, it's using about somebody using a wheelchair, but that's actually a mm -hmm. way broader category. It includes I, conditions that cause fatigue, arthritis, yeah. so heart disease. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking to someone, oh, yeah. he was asking Dave about POTS, yeah. postural, you know, orthostatic. Mm -hmm tachycardia let's see if I can even pronounce most of those words but anyway <laughs> like uh, those the areas different kinds of um it's a it's a broader category um than so it's right. a it's the largest category of disability yeah. random what's the um what's the signing up process so somebody goes to the website they go to the section on the website which talks to the SDC certification there's a prerequisite area 
and then there's an area where they apply. How how soon do they hear back? So they um, basically, I will try to get I, they as soon as they apply. So if uh, the application becomes available next Tuesday, right? And as uh, as soon as they apply, you know, within I always try within the same day to let confirm, let them know it's been received. <laughs> so that way, mm-hmm. they haven't heard back in two days. You know, there was a technical issue and nothing got sent. Yeah. Um, and then um, I uh, work with my team to try to process the applications as quickly as possible. Um, but it will take anywhere between, you know, typically two to two days to a week is typical to process an application. Do need references on the application. So sometimes if things take longer, it's because the reference hasn't responded. <laughs> so yeah. um, I haven't heard back. It's it hard. I'm always like, let people know that we will be emailing. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I just want to say that you also offer a great um, payment plan as well, don't you? Yeah, there's a payment plan. Yeah. And basically try to get I the the applications open until uh, February the 14th. But I tell people that if you want to be sure that you get a spot, you want to apply early because sometimes... Um, in the past, if the demand, sometimes it, it fills up. Uh, and so we'll keep it open mm-hmm. until the 14th, but if we have to stop early, if it fills up really fast, right. it just depends. Um, and then uh, the course starts on the 28th. Mm-hmm. So um, that's okay. pretty much okay. how it works. And there's a yep. really nice page there as well um, of all the frequently asked questions, which it talks about, you know, what does the curriculum mm-hmm. cover? Is there a payment plan? And um, what's the coursework like? What are the course technical requirements? Do I need to take the, do I need a dog to take? Actually, that's a good one. Do I need a dog to take the course? Yes, you do. Because yes. it's sort of skill, a skill training, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And it needs to be a dog yeah. that is like, yeah. you know, you don't want to pick like an eight-week-old puppy and you don't want to pick a dog mm-hmm. that has a lot of, age-related health problems. You want to yeah. use a dog that's going to be a good training dog. It does not need to be a service dog candidate. Yeah. Okay. So. But, it, but, but, the dog, but the dog needs to be able to, together, you need to be able to demonstrate your competency with the right. that's called right. tasks. Yeah. Right. So you want a dog, you want a dog that is a dog that is, um, that enjoys training because these are not, you know, that these are not necessarily easy behaviors but it like I always remind people does not have to be a service dog candidate I've had people do it with dogs that are mm-hmm. reactive because you're training in your house you're training that you can train the behaviors right. in your own house or in the yeah. training facility yeah. yeah and then there's a area here Thanks. as well which I like it says I'm not a professional dog trainer how can I get started training service dogs and you say we've created just for people entering the field service dog fundamentals so yeah right there's right. a there's a lot of great information mm-hmm. on this website. The website is cooperativepause.com. And then you can explore around. You can read all about the different programs and all the other great information on here. It's just actually there's some really good stuff on here. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a good website. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I self-designed it. <laughs> yeah. Good job. You want to do mine? <laughs> no, Gina Barris when is I one retire. of your contributors. That's cool. Yeah. I'm reading through the contributors that um that you've got on the website as well. There's some nice, nice names on here. Yes, we're yeah. always um yeah you know always adding little bits and always kind of sell get a lot of my ideas too from my students. My right. <laughs> And I'd actually just sometimes from people who randomly email me. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. And while um, while you guys talk, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all those links in the in the actual thread. Well, and okay. to have a list of uh, your students or your graduates, I should say, if someone needs help, right, they can contact one of them. Right. Which yeah. is nice. If they find an SDC, you can go there and mm-hmm. um, find somebody who can help you with your with your needs and more and more since a lot of trainers are offering virtual if there's somebody that Mm -hmm. you know you can always try and if some nobody's really close to you you can contact somebody and see if they'll offer virtual um yeah the virtual thing has really helped right just spread the word um i'm seeing in my area a lot of doctors recommending service dogs for their patients and unfortunately, what I'm also seeing is a lot of doctors recommending shot color trainers for their patients that need service dogs. And it's very frustrating. So I guess that's, again, about education, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, 
yeah, when I, when I, one of the things that I was hearing in my area, which is ultimately what prompted the creation of the SDC program, is that, um, that I literally, literal thing that a client told me is I want to find a positive reinforcement trainer, mm -hmm. but the only mm -hmm. trainers that I can find are the ones who use electronic collars. And I don't that is That is yeah. so music to my ears because sometimes I think we mm -hmm. haven't made the progress that I, I think we have. And I think right. we have, because we hear that more and more now, don't we? Clients asking, I'm looking yeah. for a positive reinforcement trainer. Yeah. Which is nice. Right. I've, I've got people calling me now saying, I'm just going to tell you, I sleep with my dog. She sleeps next to me on my pillow. If you're going to tell me I can't do that, you're not the right trainer for me. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm the one that's going to tell you to do that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it's refreshing because yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. are really, you know, starting to make that connection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think that, I mean, I, per, I mean, I, I want positive re reinforcement for all dogs, pets, whatever, but mm -hmm. um, for a service dog, um, like, you know, the, the idea that you're, you're going to have this dog wearing an electronic collar for, you know, all right. day long, all day long mm -hmm. and, you know, being handled by somebody who I mean, people with disabilities, by the very nature of the disability, timing can be thrown off. Right. By the sure. very nature of it. So it's, yeah, yeah the idea of that. Um, but that, um, yeah, you know, that's why I'm always like, come on, positive reinforcement trainers. And that the reality is yeah. that mm -hmm. we don't have enough. There's still, I still, it, I still reach out yeah. and I'm like, wait, I've got three trainers in that state. Oh, the closest one is two hours away. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Wait, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and I see, you know, the, the therapy dogs with pinch collars on and they're going into schools and I'm thinking that child's going to reach up and touch that dog's neck. And who do we, you know, how do we know what that response is going to be? So right. definitely it needs to, we need to see a change yeah. in that. So yeah, your absolutely. program is a catalyst for people to, you know, get them in the, going in the right direction as right. far as you right. know, changing the world. Right. Well, it's especially disappointing for human healthcare providers because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's disappointing particularly because yeah. I would think, but, uh, I just, I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, I, just, I just, I just, I just struggle so much with the concepts of wanting this sentient being and needing this sentient being to be your lifeline for someone with disabilities or just to be a pet dog <clears throat> that, that by using aversives, you're you just it's an absolute contradiction of the end result you want, isn't it? Which is a mm -hmm. dog that trusts you and feels secure and safe and wants to protect your best interests. I just don't understand it. Right. I struggle. Yeah. I just struggle. Yeah. I struggle with it. Yeah. With it. Yeah. yeah. It's an ongoing problem. Yeah. Right. And I know there's extremes on both sides in terms of, I mean, one of the concerns I have with the positive reinforcement community is often, and I, you know, I mean, I, I was the same. I mean, I remember as a young trainer back in the early 2000s when I would sort of think, well, how do I solve that problem? If I, I don't want to punish this animal, but how do I solve it? And mm -hmm. until you really understand yeah. counter conditioning and differential reinforcement and how to reduce the intensity of a behavior, that's a, it's a difficult one to get your mind around, isn't it? Right. So competency is mm -hmm. so important, right? So, so important. You know, one that I keep thinking about um, lately, because I've, I've been thinking a lot about public access and adolescence because of my adolescent dog. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and um, I keep thinking about like the one thing that is, is hard for, for everyone to do, but sometimes the best, sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of taking a big step back and just waiting and allowing mm -hmm. for maturity and sometimes it's a matter of, not, yeah. you know, sometimes it's not a training issue, yeah. it's a waiting issue. Like, yeah. wait, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. A lot management, of management, I mean, management is such an important part of being right. a dog owner or a trainer, isn't right. it? And just, mm -hmm. like, Clothia has a great webinar on this. I right. think it's just, and so a lot of people sort of poo-poo it, but antecedent control, it's really important, people. It's about finding that space that yeah. you can insert you know, a, a new cue or something that's going to stop the puppy <laughs> behavior. I mean, without management, puppy raising puppies would be a bloody nightmare, wouldn't it? If you if they uh, have management strategies and tools, it's um, definitely, definitely, yeah, 
And it's such yeah. an important part. And sometimes they need that management just while their brain sort of catches up with the way the body's <laughs> right. growing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The brain's exactly. about a month behind the rest of the body and you need a little bit of time just to allow it all to catch up. That's such a huge issue with yeah. service dogs because most of the time when we're talking about service dog training, we are talking about young dogs. Mm -hmm. We are talking about mm -hmm. adolescents. Yeah. That's the big thing we have to keep remembering. Right. Sometimes we're talking about puppies or adolescents, we're talking about dogs that typical service dog in training is yeah. often at that age where they are actually the hardest to work yeah. with. Teenage yeah. dogs. I mean, Barbara, yeah. Hoddle, Barbara Hoddle, the, um, the last PP uh, chair for the PPG Australia wrote mm -hmm. a really good book about teenage dogs. And yeah. it wasn't something mm -hmm. that I never really yeah. knew. We all know, we all sort of talk about the terrible twos, but it's to really understand what's going on from a chemical perspective. It's really important, isn't it? That, it's so funny. You just yeah. mentioned her book. I like literally yeah. just, I just bought it and I have yeah. it on my counter. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And no, that's my favorite right. age. Yeah. I love that age of dogs. Yeah. And, you know, and four year and three year old kids or twos or whatever yeah. it is that people complain about. You I like love their... those ages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I like puppies, you know, yeah. so I'm yeah. kind of different about that. But, you know, I think if we can teach people to kind of equate some of the things that we're seeing with our dogs to children, mm -hmm. you know, the best thing I do is walk into someone's home and say, your dog's mentally, cognitively, and emotionally, just like a toddler. Yeah. And they're like, oh, now my job is easy. I get it now. Right. But, it, but, you know, when, when we get a puppy, they're mobile, they're feeding right. themselves or drinking yeah. for themselves. When we get a baby, they aren't doing that. So right. I think a lot of times people don't realize in the brain it's yeah, still right. an itty bitty yeah. baby I, yeah. I mean I don't have children but one of the things I sort of go oh my god how am I going to explain this is when you go into someone's home with a puppy and they say well you know I don't I really don't want to use a crate or an x-pen and you say well do you, did you have have you got children and they go well no and you think oh damn because most parents can relate <laughs> to when their kids they just put them in those play pens right when if you can't mm -hmm. actively supervise your child you don't just let them crawl around your house you put them into a play pen so that you can then go and get a cup of coffee or carry a bowl of boiling water or whatever. And when and often when you say right. that to young young sort of parents, they go, oh, I get it. I absolutely get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep safe. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. keep your house safe. Yeah. Right. One of the things that um I know that service dog coaches see a lot of is uh the owner training community tends to go. Like with pet dog training, I, we were always like, we want the owner to get a little more involved with their dog. Like, we're like, okay, you're going to have to look like we get excited. Can you, can you take your puppy out maybe twice this week just for socialize the right. owner training, the owner trained service dog community tends to make mistakes on the other end of the spectrum where it's mm. like, yeah, my, my eight week old puppy has been to work with me every day this week in my office <laughs> went to 23 mom. different places yesterday exactly yeah. we're doing this and we're working yeah. on 10 times like wait wait and we have to um you know hold them back a little bit because they end up like now you have a sleep deprived puppy <laughs> and um that's bad <laughs> right that's yeah. really bad yeah. <laughs> so oh my god I think there's a lot um, of pressure you know they feel like the pressure that mm -hmm. the dog needed to be right. this you know yeah. um, expectations tomorrow right so that's yeah. definitely a challenge why does the time always fly when we have veronica on it's four o'clock already i know just, i feel like we're just getting warmed yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's do a quick summary okay so everyone who's who's listening and pam schultz has done a great job i went to facebook to put the links and everything in but they're already there because pam great. schultz is way ahead of me as usual so if you are interesting, interested in a service dog coach certification program, the website is cooperativepaws.com. The link is in the thread. And at the top menu, just click on the SDC certification. Enrollment opens next Tuesday, Veronica, yeah? Yep. Yeah. So go ahead, fill out the application. There's a payment plan. Um, you'll need to you'll need some information before you start. And there's some great information on the website in terms of the curriculum and there's a great page all about all the frequently asked questions. So I'm sure you've got questions and you'll probably find all the answers there on the website. So there we go. Thank That's you for cool. sharing your Friday afternoon yeah. with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Veronica. Oh, you're um, always so welcome. Have, yeah. have a fabulous weekend and we'll hopefully see you yes. in three or four months and you can tell us about all the, all the yeah. graduates. Wonderful. That's right. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah.
All right. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Bye, Cal. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Julie, if you moved over like a little bit, the ears would be on. I, there you go. There I know. Go. <laughs> That's why I moved my uh, chair over a little bit. That's too funny. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody have a great weekend and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you're gonna teach me, teach me force free People can be good and kind and that's a great philosophy I can flourish, I can learn if you'll just help me Show me, guide me, be my friend and train me happy I can be the best dog You're gonna teach me, teach me for